Recently, I was watching a, a YouTube video of uh, a bunch of people who were very expectantly watching a pregnant giraffe. It was a, it was a big deal. Uh, and so everyone was watching the giraffe, waiting to see when the mother giraffe would give birth to the new little baby giraffe. It was a world event, apparently. Well, eventually, the, the giraffe gave birth, and it was like, oh, wow, there's, there's the new little baby giraffe, and isn't that nice? And, but then you, you keep watching, because they're like, oh, yep, oh, there, there it goes. And the little baby giraffe is up. Oh, that's so cute. And the baby giraffe is up, and it's kind of stumbling around, and then its little legs get a little stronger, and the next thing you know, there's the little baby giraffe standing up by its mother, and it's nursing, and end of, end of show, and we move on. And I, I, I thought about that compared to what it's like when a little baby human is, is born how we just kind of take for granted that, oh, look, that little giraffe is born and now it's up and walking and it's, isn't that nice? Can you imagine a, a human baby being born and like, oh, that's sweet, and now it's up walking around the hospital room, you know? No, I mean, that's, that's a couple years <laughs> down, down the road. A giraffe does it like that. Or my friends just had, you know, they have cows and one of the, the cows gave birth and like, Oh, there's the little calf, and okay, it's up walking, or, uh, you know, a horse is born, and then before you know it, that later that day, it's off running by its mother, and no, a baby human is, like, we're incredibly um, under, under-advantaged when it comes to this. Little baby humans aren't going to walk for at least a couple years, <laughs> well, maybe a year, if you're advanced. I'm told I was a little advanced. I don't want to brag, but yeah, advanced for a human is like walking after a year, you know. And yet we know that God designed things this way. He could have made human babies pop out of their mom and get up and walk, you know, do the dishes and help out around the house more quickly, maybe. But he didn't. Why, why in God's design of the world did he make humans who in many ways are the most intelligent, most ad adapted of all the creatures of the earth, when, when it comes to reproduction and new little baby humans, we are incredibly disadvantaged. Imagine if a giraffe or a horse or a cow gave birth and that calf couldn't move for a year. Well, they'd be dead. And a baby giraffe would get eaten by a lion before you'd know it. You know, a baby calf has got to get up because it's got a nurse from its mom. All these other animals have this ability to get up because they, they need to, but how is it that humans survive if our children are so uh, just completely disadvantaged when they're born and unable to do anything? Well, I, I have to think that God designed it this way because... Well, he wanted human parents to see the, the vulnerability and neediness of their children and know this little human baby can't do anything and relies completely upon their mom and dad for, well, at least the first year, but 
what can kids really do after a year? Well, not a whole lot. So, so maybe children need their parents for, for at least the first two years. Yeah, well, how many two-year-olds would you want to, you know, give to the world and say, go out, have a good life? Okay, so maybe more than two years. Well, I mean, five, no, not five. I mean, probably 18? Maybe it's going to take at least 18 years before a human baby can really go on its own. Well, <laughs> and there's laundry in college. And so, no, you got to come home to have your mom do your laundry even during college. And maybe 21? I, yeah, no, then, then they really get in trouble. And I don't know if, I don't know exactly when you could say human babies stop being dependent upon their parents. Some of you are maybe have kids living in your basement still. I don't know. It takes a long time. And God in his wisdom, I think, did this because unlike the uh, other animals, there is this incredible choice, bond of, of love that human parents make towards their children. You have to deliberately say, I'm responsible for that little life. I've I've got to take care of that little life or, or that, that little life can't do anything and will die. I don't know that other animals quite have that instinct. We think of like fish. They, they reproduce by not even really coming together because how can you know fish even give each other a hug? The little fins just don't reach around the other fish. If female drops some eggs, a male fish swims by, fertilize the eggs and Thousands of little fish later that they never even see their children. Well, we're, we're very different from fish, at least. We are given by God the mission to take care of, raise, even, dare I say, sacrifice for the good of the next generation. No other species really quite does that in the same way that humans do. I think, therefore, we must recognize the incredible responsibility that Christian parents have, but also just the beauty in God's design that in sacrificing for children, parents actually grow in greater love. And this is really the, the great secret of St. John's letter in our, our second reading. It's, it's very simple. It says that we are to be like him. It says, beloved, we are God's children. What we shall be has not yet been revealed. We do know that when it is revealed, we shall be like him, meaning that we will be like God. Well, how are we most like God? Well, we know that our God is not a, a solitary God. Rather, our God is a trinity of three persons, and in many ways, as John Paul II told us, our God is a family, a, a communion of love, not an isolated single person, but a, a union of love in three persons. Our God is a family. And so when we love as a family, that's how we become like him. You want to be like God, look at our families. That's how we image God the best. Husband laying down his life, sacrificing in love on behalf of his bride. The bride receiving that beautiful gift of love of her husband 
and that love between them becoming so real when it's expressed in marriage that nine months later, yet you have to give that love a name as a new little baby is born. And two, become one in marriage, but then two become three and four and five and onward in the gift of children. Marriage, family, is the way that we most image for the world the love of our God who is a family. And for that reason, it's, it's not surprising that our families today are the things that, that Satan most attacks. Why is it that everywhere we look, it, it seems like we're falling short of God's image for family? It's because we, we have a real enemy in Satan. If this is the way we become like God and know God and his love, well, of course Satan wants to attack family, destroy it as much as possible. But we also just have our, our own natural enemies, our, our own vices. Marriage and family requires us to say, my life is not about me. Until I, I get married, I, I might be tempted to think that, well, my life is about me. But then I fall in love and I find this other person and that other person just consumes my attention. I wanna be with that person. I wanna, I wanna do what's good for that person. St. John Paul II also reminds us that love is ultimately willing the good of another. And perhaps in no way are we more inspired to will the good of another other than ourselves than when we fall in love. But then that, that love that exists between two people, it, it can be so fragile. And so God strengthens that, that love by giving husband and wife children. If you ever wanna have to get out of your own desires and realize my life is not about me, you have children and you realize, I don't have time to worry about me. That, that little one needs feeding and diapers changing and is screaming in the middle of the night and I don't have time to think about me. I'm too worried about my, my children. And, and ultimately that continues to, to deepen and grow as the number one thing that would keep us from heaven is, well, our own selfishness. So nothing I think causes people to have to grow out of their selfishness than first caring for another and a spouse and then raising a family. Before you know it, you realize that my life is definitely not about me. And you like it that way. It's like you're, you take your heart out and give it to these little children who are now walking around. You can't hardly bear to be apart from them. They go off and they leave the house and they really never leave your, your thoughts. And then you become grandparents and you realize how much you love those, those grandchildren. And before you realize that the greatest joys in your life are no longer you and the things you can get, the greatest joys are all those kids and grandkids and you can't wait to see them on Christmas. And isn't God great in the way he arranged all that? Now, we know that when we are most loving in our families, then, as John says, we shall be like God. But notice it's not, it's not exactly yet. In our human families, we, we fall short all the time. Uh, on this day after Christmas, we normally get the Feast of St. Stephen, and the reading on the Feast of St. Stephen is always, you know, father will turn against mother, and children will turn against their parents, and mother-in-law against father. There's all this fighting. It just sounds like a Christmas gone wrong. Uh, well, Probably a lot of you here, there are many joys in families, but there's also much suffering and much, much brokenness. And many of our families are, are hurting right now. And 
it, it almost seems a little bit more painful at Christmas because we have in our mind this idea that everything should be happy and joyful at Christmas. Not quite, not always. So there's probably a lot of you that are, you know, maybe feeling a little down today. Maybe you've lost a family member. This is the first Christmas with, without that person. My, my grandfather died this, this last summer. And so we're without my, my grandparents this year at Christmas. And there's, of course, separations in families, divorces, deaths, children that are suffering. Just know that God sees all that too. And the pain that we feel over our families means that family is important. That idea we have in our head that, well, family should, should be about love. It should be about permanence. That's why it hurts so much when families struggle, when marriages fall apart, when, when children you know, wander off on their own way and leave their family behind. And it's all a part of this day. Today is a celebration of Jesus, Mary, and Joseph. The, if ever there was a family that best imaged the, the love of God, well, well, there it is. But guess what? You're not them. And you're not going to be the holy family because that's the holy family. But you can be a holy family. Each of you is called to holiness in the way that your family has walked. With all its ups and downs, joys, struggles, sufferings, that's your story. And it is a story of holiness. So today, no matter what has happened in your family, if it's good, it's bad, thank God for the beautiful blessings he's given your family. Give him over the, the sufferings, the things that are, are broken. To the extent that he can, ask God, heal this. It's a good prayer. But today, recognize that in our families, in all of its messiness and all its beauty, that's how, as John says, we shall be like him. We are called to be like God and especially in our families. Today, I am grateful that I am who I am in large part from the gift of my family with all of its ups and downs. Today, let's be thankful for our families and thankful that God has chosen to become one of us. And when he did, he could have entered the world in any way, but Jesus chose to come in a family. He was completely dependent on Mary and Joseph, his parents. Jesus did not come as a little giraffe who could get up and run off his way. He needed his parents. And the great secret is, so do we, our whole life. We always need a little parenting. And so isn't it a wonderful blessing that we can call God, the maker of the entire universe, the creator of everything, well, we don't refer to him just as the Almighty, but we use family language. He is our Father. Perhaps today we can understand the great love that a father would have when he's perfect, never abandons his family, never abandons his children, always protects them. That is the image of any earthly father, but it is the reality of our Father in heaven. He is perfect. He loves us perfectly. Today, as St. John says, we are called to be like him.